What is though? What do you want me to say? You have found Chameleon, Season 3, Wild Boys. A production of Campside Media. Oh. <laughs> A heads up. This show contains discussions of an eating disorder. If you or someone you know is struggling with eating disorders, please listen with care. When Rowan was peeling his orange in the family kitchen and saw the uniformed officer at the front door, he ran without a second thought. Everything boils down to survival. That's why I had to run away. He didn't have an elaborate plan for what would come next. He just knew he had to run. I just didn't think that far ahead. I just like ran, ran behind some building complex, behind some bushes. And in the bushes, he waited, his mind still racing as the morning sun swung high above him before eventually dipping behind the trees several anxious hours later. When it was finally dark, Rowan crept out of the bushes, not knowing exactly what to do, but knowing exactly who would. Rowan made his way across the manicured lawns of suburbia, slinking through the dark all the way back to his house, where he snuck into the backyard and crept up to his brother's window. Was there anyone else that you would consider like have tapping on their door? No, just Kyle. Yeah, Kyle's the only person I trusted fully. Rowan trusted Kyle with the same conviction that Vernon would come to distrust him. Completely out of touch with how serious the situation was. Being the good, likely sociopath that he was, always had an answer. Felt like he was brainwashing him. He had a somewhat kind of detached kind of coldness. I thought, you know, this is a kid that's got some real problems. I think you'd have to spend a lot of time with him to really be able to understand. I, I just, uh, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. Spending time with Kyle is exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to understand this enigma, especially after talking to Rowan. The gap between how the people of Vernon saw Kyle and how Rowan sees Kyle was, let's say, vast. If you understand Kyle's intentions and motives, you'll see there's no, no wrongdoing, nothing he needs to account for. Right. If anything, he deserves a heroic badge of honor for being a protector. So while I had Rowan on the line, I put the feelers out to see if there was a possibility Kyle would talk to me. Does Kyle live in town? Do you, do you see him a lot? Um, well, he lives with me. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. I would love to talk to him too. Yeah, I'm sure he'd love to talk with you. The rest of the family would be down to talk too, Rowan said. So we booked a flight to Nevada, where the plan was to talk to Rowan, Kyle, and Diana and Roger, their parents. But when I arrived, the plan immediately fell apart. We heard from a friend of Rowan's that Kyle left town shortly after we arrived and was working out of state for a guy with a supplement company and who had other stuff going on. Like a farm or something, and this guy likes gerbils and he wants to get like literally 800 gerbils. And I was like, to do what with? Okay, so bummer. No Kyle on account of the gerbil supplement farm. And then I found out that Diana and Roger suddenly were out too. So we came all this way and now we just had Rowan, but he promised that if our conversation went well, he'd vouch for us and try and get his mom to talk to us. 
So after a marathon, five-and-a-half-hour conversation with Rowan, he says through tears, I'm giving you guys a good rating. <laughs> I, will, I, will tell my, I will tell my mom to do the interview. Later that night, though, we're informed that even with Rowan's endorsement, Diana's still not interested. But then, a lucky break. We're in front of, like, this hot springs joint. After our interview with Rowan, he accidentally forgot to take off his lavalier mic. So we arranged to meet with Roger, the boy's dad, in the Hot Springs parking lot to get our mic back. I knew that if I was going to convince him and his wife Diana to talk with us, thus keeping the dream of talking to Kyle alive, this would be my final opportunity to give my impassioned plea. It was a traditional high-stakes handoff situation. A near-empty parking lot, both cars parked not at all between the lines. The gift shop employees of the Hot Springs peering through the windows, being like, are those guys coming in? Should I start the paperwork for a towel rental? This conversation is going longer than I anticipated. My producer, Abukar, watched the conversation with Roger through the windshield. It was a desperate and sweaty performance, like all other Sam Mullins monologues before it. I think you may be convincing him. Oh my God, there's a lot of laughing. Sam is coming back. I think he may have done it. I think he may, did you do it? What a sweet guy. <laughs> okay. Like, really. Later that night, I get a voice message on Facebook. I hit play. Hi Sam, this is Diana. And um, I have decided to meet with you tomorrow at 10 in the morning. So we talk along with Diana the next day, and it goes great. And I tell her, I just honestly can't imagine telling this story without Kyle. So at the end of our interview, she borrows her husband's phone and calls Kyle to leave a message. Hey, Kyle, we're really hoping you'll meet with Sam. Um, they're very nice. I, They're, you know... It's best if your point of view comes out in the story. Instead of people just judging you and guessing your intentions, please consider meeting with them. I'd like you to call us and let us know. Okay, bye. And I felt so confident that he'd call us. I mean, if my mom tells me to call someone, I do. But we don't hear from him. No call, no Kyle. How we may have lost Kyle. May, because yeah. we don't know definitively why. Oh, we've lost Kyle. I sound like Eeyore there. And honestly, I felt like Eeyore booking my flight home for the next day, too. I packed my bags. I swam in the pool. My huevos rancheros the next morning had an air of finality to them. We hop in the rental car, and we start driving through the Nevada desert toward the airport. When my phone rings. An Arizona number. Kyle. Yeah, and based on whether or not you were interested in talking to us, we were going to either uh, come to you or I was going to fly back to Canada. <laughs> Kyle says, come to Arizona. Okay. Okay, perfect. Well, thanks so much, Kyle, and we'll, uh, yeah, we'll be in touch uh, later today. So we make plans to fly to Phoenix, where we hope we'll finally get to sit across from the most mysterious piece of the puzzle. I'm Sam Mullins, and from Campside Media, this is Chameleon, Wild Boys, Part 7, Kyle.
You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media. You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media. The next morning, we wake up in Arizona. My producer Abukar and I waited for Kyle at the Sheraton in Mesa. Kyle said that he'd come to the hotel to meet us, which was sad for those of us hoping to get to see a gerbil this reporting trip. Like Timothy from the CBC 17 years earlier, I wasn't 100% sure I'd be sitting down with Kyle until I was actually sitting down with Kyle. 11 a.m. passed. No Kyle. 11.10. 11.20. As I listen back to the tape of this moment before I meet Kyle, I heard that I was mumbling something, so I turned the volume all the way up, and you can hear me anxiously rehearsing how I'm going to greet Kyle. Kyle, such a pleasure to finally meet Kyle, such a pleasure to finally meet you. I, too, am human with words. And then... Hey, Kyle. What a pleasure to finally meet you. Kyle walks in. He looks the same, just 20 years older. The same patchy beard. He's wearing a black tee and cargo shorts. His hair, a party at the back. Hey. How are you today? Good, how are you? Good, good. Um, yeah, so this is our room. We're all set up. We sit down. Kyle finds a place for his gallon-sized jug of water. We're in the desert, man. You gotta hydrate. And as we get settled, he starts setting up a camcorder, old school, palm-sized, with a screen that flips out, and turns it on. Yeah, you're, you're recording video also, I see. Um, doesn't matter. I see. Okay. I'm just curious what you want it for. Keep you guys accountable. I don't know yeah. you guys too well. So. Yeah, yeah, of course. Something about people showing up to a recorded interview with their own recording device is unnerving. But I suppose that was its desired effect. I'll put it nice and close. Once our even playing field was established, we began. Or rather, he did. I know so, you want to get maybe as much from me as possible, but can you tell me like a little bit about yourself? Yeah, like, yeah, definitely. Um, well, like I said, I grew up in Vernon. And, uh, but did you like growing up in Vernon? Oh, oh yeah, totally. So you know why we stay there. Yeah, it's exactly. a perfect little town. Right? It's a good spot for you guys to land. Felt like a good place to start our shared love of Vernon. Next order of business, address the gerbil in the room. So Kyle, I heard a rumor from someone. Uh, Rowan and Kyle, they're going to like, uh, they're going to move to Arizona to like a gerbil farm. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> what? What do you think he's talking about? Uh, <laughs> uh, just people playing telephone. That's so far off. <laughs> so far off from reality. Yeah. <laughs> we spent the next 90 minutes going through all the questions that had been burning in my brain for the past year while I was doing the dishes or pushing my kid on the swing or laying in bed at night. And as I started to get answers from Kyle, I had the same feeling I'd had talking to Rowan a few days earlier. The more I started to understand the boys, the more I understood that this wasn't a random thing that happened. This was a sort of inevitable thing that happened. Kyle was the second kid. His family remembers him being especially bright, a good athlete, good at drawing. 
Kyle and Rowan weren't close when they were younger. Rowan was born six and a half years after Kyle, an age gap that felt less significant, though, as Rowan became a teenager and started to grow into the kinds of ideas and topics that Kyle was also drawn to. As soon as I started getting really weird and branching off into my philosophies, I kind of almost escaped into my own world at that time. That was in my room, most of that. I think we're sharing the same room, so we just had more conversations. Where we talk about deep philosophical stuff. Right. Spiritual stuff. That's how we started to become more close. I, I talk less about the deep philosophical stuff with other members of my family. It's mainly just me and Kyle. Yeah, if I had a conversation with my sister or my older brother, I feel like the conversation wouldn't go as deep. Gabriel concurs. Sometimes he'd engage with his little brothers, but only... Uh, in digestible doses, because it's a lot. Because, you know, you get them on an area they're interested in, they'll, they'll talk about it a long time. Long before they were holed up in a fruit room in Vernon together, the two brothers in their shared bedroom started talking about the big questions of life. And those questions quickly veered off the beaten path. You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media. This is Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. I'm Steve Taylor, your host to a horror anthology podcast where we ask you to depart from your safe perception of reality to descend with us into the frightening depths and dark corners of twisted imaginations. With carefully curated original tales of terror each week, our deepest rooted fears are brought to the forefront by a diverse cast of voice talent and masterfully eerie sound design that bring these stories to life. We'll give you tales of unnerving encounters with the occult, harrowing hauntings, and sinister seances that show just how darkness knows no bounds. Make sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the super light tree runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com code SUPER24. You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media. Both of the Horn brothers turned away from mainstream sources and toward the internet. This was now the late 90s, early 2000s, and they each went deep into the rabbit holes of the rabbit holes of the early internet. The oldest of the Horn boys, Gabriel, made a website about his brothers right after they left Vernon. On it, he wrote a bio of Kyle. He said that in high school, Kyle became disenchanted with and suspicious of the education system. He felt his teachers were, quote, willing participants in a system designed to brainwash America's youth. 
When he graduated high school, Kyle left mainstream education behind. And for the next few years, he didn't really leave the house, didn't really work. It got to the point where even his siblings started to complain. Like, Kyle's got to do something with his life. But according to Kyle, he was doing something. I heard someone say something like, I don't believe in work. Is that the... <laughs> Did someone say I've, that? I've heard versions of that, yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's not exactly true. Uh, so I, I would spend, back then, uh, you know, and this started when I was 18, I would spend like my whole day just studying. So I wouldn't play games. I wouldn't watch movies. I wouldn't listen to music. I would just literally study my whole days. And I don't think there's a lot of people who can do that, but I can, and it's, it's a blessing. Blessed with the ability to obsessively focus, Kyle made studying the far corners of the internet his full-time job. The more he studied, the more he felt like he understood the capital T truth behind what he believed were just mountains of mainstream lies. Uh, I started to see more into behind the hoaxes that were going on. You know, see more deeply into the world. You know, it's uh, as ironic as it is that I'm portrayed as some sort of elaborate hoaxer. <laughs> I actually spend a lot of my life getting to the bottom of hoaxes and false deceits in the world. He started retranslating the Bible, and he began spotting passages that he felt mainstream Christianity had completely misinterpreted. It's a complete hoax. Mm -hmm. Completely mistranslated. Mm -hmm. He was also retranslating our understanding of the physical universe. His brother Gabriel wrote that Kyle, quote, constructed and came to believe in a different model for the universe, other than the standard solar system, unquote. Gabriel said his brother developed detailed diagrams of his new model and posted them online. It was around this time, Gabriel said, that Kyle's friends and family started to think, quote, he might be a little off, unquote. Off in ways that were both kind of common, 20-year-old boy who's been swallowed whole by the internet stuff, but also off in ways that became troubling to his loved ones. Diana talked about this in the second CBC Disclosure documentary about the boys. Some of his ideas became so extreme, we wondered um, if Kyle was Benalio. Like what? Can you tell us? I don't know. Okay. Um, he said that um, he thought that Michael Jackson might be uh, Michael the Archangel. And if someone says something like that, now you're thinking they're way out in Looney Tuneville. They really aren't sane. In an article after the boys left Vernon, Kyle said that a natural disaster will soon destroy everyone on Earth, except for a few. And that, quote, I'm a prophet of the Most High God, and that's how I know these things. Gabriel said Kyle was obsessed with being one of the few who'd survive. So he also became obsessed with his diet. Around the same time that Rowan was experimenting with his diet, Diana started to notice Kyle was trying things too. He was doing things with color. Uh, I'm gonna eat some kind of rainbow diet. Maybe on this day I'll eat red and on this day I'll eat blue or something. And I, I thought that was kind of weird. And His older brother's website also said that Kyle believed people in or around big cities would be killed. So he started to make plans to move to, that's right, a remote corner of Canada. As Kyle's beliefs grew more conspiratorial, they also became more anti-authority. Diana from CBC Disclosure again. Because of his distrust for the government and different things, um, he, wrote in, he wrote down on something that 
blow up police cars. It was at this point that Diana called the authorities. And that's what I showed as evidence to the policeman that I feel he's a threat to society. Did you talk to him about yes. it? Yes. And what did he say? He said, I wouldn't really do that. Why did he write it? I don't know the answer to that. This was all, of course, almost 20 years ago, when Kyle was young, half a lifetime ago. The police and eventual FBI investigations were brief, and they were dropped. But in the aftermath of Vernon, there was a lot of open speculation by the media, people of Vernon, even his own family members, about Kyle's state of mind. And I'm wondering how you like felt um, having so many people uh, speculating about your mental health in that. I moment. don't care. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what, whatever they said and why they said it. And who cares? Yeah. I don't think they really, they don't think that. I don't think that anymore about him. I think he's completely sane. Um, but at the time, we, we had our doubts. She regrets what she said on camera in the interview and chalks up what she said to feeling defensive about some of the questions about her fitness as a mother. Because they said, well, do you really think you're a good mother? You know, and I think I threw Kyle under the bus to protect myself. You know, well, you know... You can't blame me for not getting mad at him. You know, he's, he's crazy, you know. So that was probably a self-defense mechanism. And it was around the time that the FBI was checking out Kyle that Kyle saw a different set of authorities start meddling in his little brother's life, too. There started to be, like, some feeling that, okay, well, if Rowan's not going to become the right weight, that they would take him or force him or something. And so Rowan started to be concerned, and that's where I sort of started to hear about it. Rowan would tell Kyle about the measurements and threats from the doctors and CPS. And it's here that Kyle's deepest, corest belief gets tripped, setting in motion Kyle's commitment to protect his little brother. But protect him in a way that will confound every other person in this story, but in a way that makes perfect sense to Kyle. Kyle's working from a different set of core values. Their brother Gabriel again. Like that extreme personal freedom is more important than life or death. So how do you debate that with somebody, right? You have to appeal to something above him that he respects to counter that view. For Kyle, as he looked at Rowan's situation, he felt, well, there is nothing above personal freedom as a value. And as we know, Kyle doesn't take his beliefs lightly or arrive at them casually. He will follow them through to their furthest end, say, all the way to Canada, with his little brother in tow. Because, Gabriel says, He cares a lot about making sense and being congruent. If you can understand Kyle's core beliefs, there actually is a through line that, if not mainstream, if not, in some cases, safe, they are congruent. He probably felt it would have been wrong to not help Rowan in the way that he did to not manufacture that story and help Rowan act out his radical personal freedom. So just coming reconciled to the fact that that is how Kyle sees things, which is tough to do. But yes, once you accept it, hey, for Kyle, that Rowan's freedom to lived the way he wanted, came before Rowan's health and safety. If you see the world through Kyle's 23-year-old eyes, there was no other choice. Of course he took Rowan to Canada. 
When CPS started pestering Rowan, Kyle was incensed. They shouldn't be trying to take it. You know, they're sort of like Nazis. <laughs> Come and take people away who, but you know, he was becoming thinner, but at the time he wasn't. And, you know, I'm there to help him get away from them. Kyle, who'd been completely stationary, whose entire life had been online for years by then, finally had a real-world cause, a real-world purpose, a call to action, and he was ready. You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters, and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media. When CPS showed up to take Rowan away and Rowan ran for his life, Kyle was ready to be tapped. He knows I'm not the kind of person who would, you know, like, oh, the, the authorities say, you, you know, you have to be locked up. And <laughs> I'm not that kind of person. I'm the kind of person who will side with freedom. So when night finally came, Rowan crept back to his block, scanning the streets for police cars along the way. When he caught view of his house, he watched the lights in the windows carefully as they turned off one by one, until there was only one light left, and he tiptoed toward it. I went to my brother's back door, his back window, and like knocked on it. Kyle was sitting in the shared room where they'd spent so many hours philosophizing about right and wrong, as if in preparation for a moment just like this, when he heard a noise. He tapped on my window and, uh... I went out. In hushed tones, the brothers began plotting. First, let's triage. Let's find you a place for tonight. Kyle quietly grabbed some gear from the family camping supplies and looked for a good spot for Rowan. It was a camping situation. Just a little wilderness area next to our house. There's just a little windy little river and then some trees. And so I just camped out in a tent there and... Uh... You know, I explained that I'd be bringing him food. Kyle crept back to the house. For the next week, Kyle would wait until dark, wait until the house was quiet, and then head to the makeshift camp. If not every night, uh, every other night. It, you know, if I missed one night, I'd go the next night. And he would just bring me, you know, he would like get a big backpack full of like Costco fruits and stuff and bring it, bring it to me at the tent. And there at the tent, they started to hatch their plan. A plan Kyle had already been thinking about for a while. I said, probably years, maybe a couple of years earlier, that I'd maybe go to Canada. When his parents would pester him, get a job or move out, Kyle. For years now, his response had always been, I'm moving to Canada. But there never been any urgency 
or enough details to make his family think that this was a real thing that Kyle might actually follow through on. And I don't even remember why he was planning a trip to Canada, but he had been planning it prior. Totally vague. I I don't remember any plan. But he seemed serious this time. I'm going to go for it because it also gets him out of the house. Like, you you need to experience the world, so you go. (laughs) Whatever it is, it's a good thing. The timing felt weird, though. As the rest of the family was searching for Rowan, Kyle suddenly stood up and said, I think it's time for me to make good on that trip to Canada that I've been planning for years now. And no, of course I don't know where Rowan is. So, of course, I'm not taking him with me. But, you know, sure it was suspicious. And and I I tried to make sure he went out prepared, you know, with a backpack and tent and sleeping bag and maybe $500. For your trip to Canada, Kyle. And if he happened to have Rowan with him, then hopefully that would cover both of them. Diana didn't know for sure that he'd be taking Rowan. He didn't tell yeah. us because we he suspected, and it's probably true, we would have turned him in because, you know, even if I didn't want him in the hospital, I think I wanted him even less to be homeless. Rowan would rather be homeless. He'd rather be anywhere on earth other than being in a hospital being force-fed. He knew how concerned his mom was about him, and that's why he kept her in the dark, only bringing Kyle into the fold. Kyle said goodbye and promised that he'd call with updates. And then he made his way to the wooded area where Rowan was camping when they brought a third conspirator into the plot. And my cousin Jared helped drive us uh, to Canada. I tried to get Kyle to corroborate that it was cousin Jared. How did you get from Roseville to Canada, uh, to Osoyas? A friend drove us. Um, Rowan told me it was uh, it was Jared, uh, cousin Jared. Yeah. Is that right? Well, uh, I'll let Jared confirm that. Right, right. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. Okay. This is a good example of why Rowan trusts Kyle, and he trusted Jared for kind of the same reasons. I thought Jared was solid. I wasn't worried about Jared. He, <laughs> what what just, is it about him that uh, he's more you know unconventional? So. Unconventional people, you tend to like, if you're un- if you see yourself as unconventional, you vibe with people who also are unconventional in their own way, because then it's like, well, yeah, we're not the normies. We can, we can vibe with each other, right? Right, right. We can <laughs> trust you. You get it. Yeah, exactly. Jared was not a normie, which is very high praise coming from the Horn brothers. And he had something that they needed, a vehicle and a driver's license. He agreed to drive them the almost 900 miles out of California, through Oregon, to Washington State. No plan, just head for the border. Like so many on the land before them, they were fueled by nothing but hope and their mom's now $482. When they get just a few miles from the oroville Osoyoos border crossing, Cousin Jared lets them out. It seems like it might be a little risky for their very kind cousin to drive them right to the line. One of these boys is on a missing persons list with an APB out for him. So the boys hop out of the truck, grab their gear, and say goodbye. And they hitch for the final stretch until they're facing the Osoyoos crossing. It's a moderately busy one, usually operating with just one lane in each direction. These are not inconspicuous boys. They're both over six feet, Kyle six and a half, scruffy, 
carrying camping gear that screams, nothing to see here, we're for sure not running from anything. Rowan had no idea whatsoever, and Kyle might have had something, but certainly no permit, passport, or driver's license. Nothing that would be considered sufficient by a Canadian border official. It's also worth noting that this was an especially not good time to be trying to cross the border illegally. It was less than two years after 9-11. When the crossing was within sight, Kyle and Rowan hung back a little bit to suss things out. And I wasn't sure sure at first, but uh, I assessed the situation. Kyle watched the interactions between the agents and the vehicles very closely, watching the pace, the timing, like a kid watching double dutch skipping ropes, looking for a place to jump in. Rowan is beside himself. I'm thinking, this is a risk. I'm thinking, my heart's pounding, like they could catch me right here and I could be over. Like I'm, I, I, we realized that they could have had some warrant or they, the, the Canadian border could have had some been, somehow been notified or something. But then something clicks in Kyle. They may not have had ideas, but they did have one other thing, something that will get them across the border, something that will get them all the way to Vernon, something that will convince an entire town to believe a wild story and take them in. As their brother Gabriel says, Kyle was uh, very self-assured on a lot of things. Right. Especially on things where he felt righteous, saving his little brother's life, preserving his freedom. People close to Kyle told me about this remarkable self-assuredness that he's capable of. Especially in moments where most people lose their nerve, something will speak to him. And then, uh, then I knew. He knew. He knew that in broad daylight that he and his brother could cross an international border no problem. It's hard to explain. I knew we can walk right across. You just gotta um, trust certain instincts. Kyle took the lead as Rowan slinked behind, mustering as much confidence as he could, being careful not to meet the eyes of a border agent. I was totally trying to act calm, right? You gotta act calm, you gotta act like you're not hiding something. They walk between all the cars in line and step across the 49th parallel. Chameleon is a production of Campside Media with Sony Music. Wild Boys was reported and written by me, Sam Mullins. It's produced by Abukara Don, and our editor is Karen Duffin. Our senior producer is Ashley Ann Krigbaum. Sound design and mixing by Hannes Brown and Garrett Tiedemann. Original music by Hannes Brown, Garrett Tiedemann, Epidemic Sound, and Blue Dot Sessions. Our fact checker is Alex Yablon. Special thanks to our operations team, Doug Slaywin, Aaliyah Papes, and Allison Haney. The executive producers at Campside Media are Matt Scher, Vanessa Gregoriadis, Josh Dean, and Adam Hoff. If you or someone you know is struggling with your relationship with food, please know you're not alone. There are free, confidential helplines with people just waiting to help. In the U.S., you can call or text the National Eating Disorder Association at 1-800-931-2237. That's 1-800-931-2237. 
In Canada, the National Eating Disorder Information Center hotline is 1-866-633-4220. That's 1-866-633-4220. Don't want to wait until next week for the next episode of Chameleon? You don't have to. Subscribe to Chameleon Uninterrupted on Apple Podcasts to listen to the next episode right now. You'll get early access to new episodes every week completely ad-free. Plus, you'll unlock episodes of our exclusive bonus series, Art of the Con. Just visit the Chameleon Show page on Apple Podcasts to start your free trial today.